Hi, this is Ian Simon of Strange Loop Studios. We provide a new artistic medium where we put art above ego. I'm on the edge of NFT, your key resource for info on the growth of the creator economy and Web3. Keep listening. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how virtual artists are here and how today's guest is a conduit for bringing them to life. And how today's guest turned a journey that started with studying the history of jazz into jazzing up the future of the music industry. And how Decentral and Consensus Austin confirmed our suspicions about what Kevin Smith does off camera. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's sponsored Spotlight episode features Ian Simon, co-founder of Strange Loop Studios, the visual home to The Weeknd, Kendrick Lamar, Flying Lotus, and SZA, and many more, of course, founded as an audio-visual collective in Los Angeles, Strange Loop Studios has become one of the leading creative pioneers of the new digital media realm, providing design and content for live events and digital media, including producing music videos, short films, and immersive experiences. He has created original content for The weekend, Kendrick Lamar, and Lil Nas X, Flying Lotus, Micah Nelson, SZA, Lizzo, Pharrell, G-Dragon, Anderson Pack, Earth Gang, and, you know, David Gilmore of Pink Floyd. Let's throw that in there. In 2019, Strange Loop launched Spirit Bomb Records, the world's first visual artist record label, receiving sizable investment from Warner Music Group, Sony Music Entertainment Japan, and the Japanese label Avex Entertainment. Very exciting stuff, Ian. Congratulations on all this. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, man. Wow. What a roster of collaborators, man. Uh, creating content too for any of those people, right? Like that's something pretty special for uh, such amazing content creators themselves, right? Yeah, so dude, sure. like, let's talk origin story, man. Like, how did you have the idea for Strange Loop? How did this whole thing come together? So I got super lucky in that when I was in college, like I it was, was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and music was a passion of mine and I'm studying jazz and jazz studies out in New York. And, but I'm from LA originally, and a lot of the friends that I grew up here that I knew in the music scene were starting to get involved in some really cool, cutting edge, new, evolving like forms of music, particularly like the LA beat scene that was out here with artists like Flying Lotus and the Low End Theory out in Boyle Heights, which was kind of this epicenter of a lot of budding fusion of jazz, electronic music, hip hop. And so I was going there in college, I got to come home and be seeing the, the bubbling scene out there. And it was super inspiring to me. And I met my co-founder to be Dave Wexler, who was, we actually met through music. Like I wasn't involved in visual arts at all, but he was kind of this polymath who he and I connected on sort of philosophical level, musical level, artistic level. And we started working together and he uh, was already doing live visuals. He was both animating and going out on the road with artists VJing and performing the visuals. And when he and I started working together, like I remember I, I played Lowen Theory as a musician, which was like so amazing, like felt like a goal unlocked, like achievement. And then, but you know, it's, you do that a couple of times over the course of a summer after college and you realize like it's not 
exactly a cakewalk to make a living from playing live music or releasing music. And so when he, yeah, he was on the road with Skrillex at the time doing his visuals for Skrillex in about 2012. And he came back from one of those tours and was like, yo, I got you a gig doing visuals on the road with these artists Zed's dead who I'd heard of and loved. But I was like, bro, I don't, I don't know how to do live visuals. Like, what are you talking about? You got me a gig. And so he was like, it'll be fine. You, know, you just got to sort of understand the musical element. He gave me all the content. It's just like shadow puppetry, right? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, that's exactly it. I just, just get a projector. Little, and gotta learn a few little hands. So really yeah, like yeah, figuring out how to make the right formations with my hands. But <laughs> honestly, it is almost that easy if you've got the musical <laughs> instincts and you've got like a content creator like I have who could just make these amazing nice. visuals. And, but, you know, it was, it was a way to make a few hundred bucks a day on the road for a short period of time. And so I, I jumped on the opportunity and it was kind of all off from there. Like a lot of people saw those shows and saw other shows that we were working on with Flying Lotus and with some of the other acts and uh, started building our roster of VJs, building our roster of animators and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, man. Isn't it something when people like really enjoy what you've created, like they're consuming something and they're passionate about it, like as a creator, right? Isn't that the best, right? Yeah, it's it's really unfair. It's part of it's really what kept me enjoying touring, even though it's pretty stressful and like not necessarily the easiest lifestyle. Like especially on the gigs where there's some where you just become really close with the touring crew and it hardly feels like work. But a lot of them are really stressful, and especially when you get into the more high profile gigs and you're doing these overnights over rehearsal and you're just like, you know, there's a couple of rehearsal spaces for the bigger like stadium or arena tours that we would do. Um, like out in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. And it's that moment when you actually see the first concert and you see everyone freak out at a certain really well-coordinated moment that you're like, worth it. Nice. Hey, where did you, I studied jazz studies at Rutgers. Um, where, oh, where were you? I was uptown in, uh, in Columbia. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. I did yeah. the performance program for like half a semester and then was like the time commitment. And also just like, I can't like the jazz I played in LA was much more free form and like post-bop, like, you know, I wasn't, and then I just got all these lead sheets put in front of me at Columbia. And I was like, I'm not your guy. I'm not, I'm not like technically ch- don't have the there chops. And like, so I switched more to like jazz studies and oh. which ended up, yeah, giving me more time to like explore the actual music scene in New York. Too. Beautiful. I mean, so I'm actually curious. I mean, we're all like uber impressed. We like booked, you know, NFTLA and we're kind of getting into booking people for things. I mean, this roster of names that you pulled together, does this have something to do with like, your roots in the New York scene or like, well, I mean, how do you pull these people together? What happened? Well, what's it been like? It's funny when you read it all out like that too. One of the reasons why there's still volume of names is because there's high turnover in these relationships. And like, that's part of what's actually like, it's can be stressful from a business point of view. Cause you're not like uh, some creative agencies where you've got a client like Google who will like, you know, re up your contract for a year or two at a time. And as long as you're providing, they kind of just need the same services. When you're a visual artist working with musicians, you're kind of uniting for this moment in time where it's you're realizing their musical aesthetic in the visual space. And we've had some relationships that have lasted for years. Like in fact, Zed's dead. I'm still doing shows with, and I did my first gig with them in 2012, but that's the exception, not the rule I'd say what to actually have a relationship that long, like with Lizzo, we, you know, we, I was super stoked on the work we did with her, but it was probably like a year of working with her. And over a course of like different shows that we did with like festivals or award shows and same with Pharrell and, and you kind of get to like parachute into these artists at a certain point in their career and you have like the chemistry and often it's like, you have a great experience, but then they're onto their next album cycle. And while we do like a diversity of aesthetics, there is a certain strange loop look. And it's like, 
there's no part of you that takes it personally when they don't call you the next time. Cause you're like, it makes sense. It's like, you've got this yeah. artistic union, but yeah. That's a great depiction of the process. Um, I recall a show we did with Claude Van Stroke of Dirty Bird Records yeah, sure. and they have this like artist in residence program. I guess they do for each year for, I think it's a year. It could be a little bit less time than that, but for each series of, campouts and and records and stuff they work with an artist for a year and, and they sort of it's sort of a fun residence program and sort of it puts some sort of parameters on that sort of i guess uh nebulous sort of process that you just described yeah yeah that also seems like it could be a great opportunity for an artist too to get exposure right if you're kind of brought into this somewhat stress got some rails on the relationship and you can really that, that can be one of the most stressful things is just the not knowing what the scope is or is going to turn into and but yeah, like we've been super lucky to have really fruitful relationships. Like I ended up on the road with Kendrick from 2013 to 2019. And then the weekend, like, you know, we designed the tours from 2015 all the way to like the TikTok virtual concert he did over the pandemic. So the like, there's definitely room for both, right? Like sometimes you just have this yeah. great, like sort of ships passing in the night of great like chemistry at a moment. And sometimes you are actually able to build it, a body of work. But, but fundamentally it does sound like it's always an open relationship. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, as it should be, because otherwise you end up like in this really competitive mindset with other artists where it's just, it is, it doesn't never felt like the way it should be. It's like, if you're excited about another visual artist out there and there's only more and more as the tools become democratized and it's easier to learn 3D animation, like it would be, you're setting yourself up for failure. If you consider it a zero sum game, like you got to be able to have some sort of sense that there's enough work for everybody and that you really just want to be excited about collaborations. And it's, it's that. always yeah. more fun to collaborate with people from a place of abundance versus scarcity, you know? That's really it. And that's like how we like to do things as well. So 2019, you started spirit bomb records. The first Virtual artist record label, really special. What was unique about Spirit Bomb and, and how's it going since then? It's been a while. Yeah, it's crazy to think that it started in 2019 because, you know, as we'll get to, like that was before we had so much of the terminology about around Web3 and so much of the stuff that has helped us actually like ideate a business model around it. But back to the origins of it, like as much as we did love that fluid sort of relationship that we'd have with artists that I was just describing. One thing that excited us about Spirit Bomb was the idea of building a structure in which we could work with these artists from the ground up, like musical artists, on co-creating IP, rather than the system that we traditionally operated in, which is they finish an album, they come to us, and they've kind of got this body of work, and then they would be like, help us bring this into the, visual, uh, the live space and the visual space. And one aspect of that, and we would often do the same thing, right? Like we'd finish a body of visual work and we'd go and hire a composer to score it. And we usually had quite a bit built out before that would happen. And one of the systems that comes along with that is that things are often work for hire deals, right? Where we're, we're getting cash and no ownership in like the concert revenue or what we're building. It doesn't really matter if they tour it for five years or five weeks. Like our fee is the same, which you know makes it hard to sort of scale your business if you're kind of parachuting into these projects one after another. And similarly, when we worked with musicians, we wanted to find a way to give them like true ownership in the projects that we were creating together. So the idea of Spirit Bomb started as just sketches of characters in, in notebooks and like being inspired by projects like Hatsune Miku that we'd seen in Japan. And then also we'd seen Lil Michaela at that point and seen like a, a digital being presenting as just another human on social media. I think that was like a big light bulb moment for me and, and Dave was 
this idea that when you're on Instagram, there's like a digital flattening that happens, right? Where we're all given the same square to present ourselves. And it doesn't really matter if you're fictional IP or a real person, like you can create a semblance of autonomy and a semblance of reality, regardless of where the content's coming from. So those were kind of the impetuses behind creating Spirit Bomb was like, can we start creating from the ground up with other creatives rather than one of us doing the bulk of the work first? Can we create a system of co-creation and co-ownership? And can we kind of seed it online in a way where maybe these characters feel like they're alive? Yeah, man. And so that brings up a number of different interesting things in the background, right? Like we love talking about the creative side of it, an idea becoming reality, but there is a lot in between you have to think about. And IP is one of those things, intellectual property. What does it mean in the digital space? How does it work? What does it mean in virtual reality versus augmented reality, extended reality? Like, where's all that headed, man? How how do you guys deal with this part of the, the business? Yeah, it was something that we grappled with from the outset. And part of the reason why we raised money was so that we would have optionality as to how we approach that. Because first of all, we were started Spirit Bomb just kind of picking away at it in between our existing gigs, which made it really hard to have a regular cadence of, of posting or creating content because you know it's time for the weekend to go on tour. And it's like, all right, everybody's sort of off working on Spirit Bomb and on working on weekend gig. And so it was hard to really build up momentum. But we also, part of the reason why, rather than finance a particular character with a Warner or like more film style financing, why we went through a slightly more venture route was so that we could create the infrastructure that would allow us to build the IP ourselves and then figure out who the best partners would be. And from the outset, we wanted our IP partners to be artists and start with the people who are really breathing life into the project. And there's plenty of room for other people who are providing things like distribution or capital or the infrastructure to actually grow the artists to also have a piece of the IP. But a lot of the conventional funding systems start with the latter, right? Like if we're helping you get this off the ground, we're going to take a big chunk or all of the IP of these characters. And we wanted to fundraise against the system of IP creation rather than fundraise for the individual pieces of IP. So that's kind of like the beginning of it. We can get into like where it went from there because that's really where Web3 came into it was we were beating our heads against the wall with some of these questions in, in Web2, particularly just having flexibility with the fractionalization of ownership. And we were kind of at a loss and just moving ahead with like owning the IP ourselves and cutting in artists on the um, derivative revenue streams of the characters. But Web3 really opened up the ability to give a somewhat more substantial stake in, in the IP itself, the people who were helping bring it to life. Yeah, for sure. It's a game changer. Yeah, that's really awesome. And, and we've seen that and you know, it's going to happen over and over again, where people have a problem that they didn't have a solution for. And I go, hey, oh my gosh. Like ticketing is another one that's huge. And and people are still working on perfecting it. But the ticketing model in Web3 makes so much more sense than the one in Web2, right? So it's very exciting. And those are the places where like the naysayers on blockchain and Web3 just don't see, you know, the reality of how the problems are just sort of magically solved as long as you implement them. Well, they're often not the sexiest too, right? Like some of my favorite Web3 applications are not the ones that are going to be the biggest headlines to the widest amount of people, but they're like exactly the use cases that are based on anachronistic and like outdated models. Like the back end of the entire music, recorded music industry is a perfect example. And what I think like some of like smart contracts have such wide application there is because we're still holding on to so many of these systems that were set up for a physical distribution, like apparatus that hasn't been the way that people consume music for decades. Right. And it's just been kind of co-opted by different massive power centers. And but it's like that's not the sexiest headline, right? About right. royalty distribution, people being able to collect 
like more quickly, like instead of on a quarterly basis, like, but that sounds revolutionary to me. And that's, yeah. that's as someone who's not even that deep in the recorded side of music. Yeah, totally. All right. So I know you guys are being very creative with what's going on and you're doing some things that offer solutions to live artists who might be uncertain about what to do with a recorded track. You've got some really creative things going on there. Can you tell us how that's evolving? Yeah, that was actually one of the first things that made us realize that artists would be interested in collaborating with us was when we started designing the characters in our studio. And, you know, we would always show artists who came through just what we were working on in our spare time. And one thing we would hear from like uh, Justin Beretta from the Glitch Mob was one of the first people who came through and was like, oh, like I'm working on this body of work that wouldn't fit under Glitch Mob, wouldn't really fit under Superposition, which is his other, he already had a side project. And he was still like, I would love for there to be a home for this music. And we heard it from a lot of artists. And first, they kind of had different reasons why I was attracted to them. Some of them, I think, was like about protecting the brand of their original project and feeling like they didn't want to cross-pollinate it. But absent using their current platform, starting a new project from scratch, super daunting. Like, especially if you, with the content and like demands that are on artists these days to actually launch a new project we realized that's like one of the value propositions of a virtual artist is we're creating the content, like we're the face of the music. So if you're cool with that, or if that's actually like really exciting to you, then it can be a heat shield for experimentation. And as people who like love jazz and the beatsy and all, it's like, we want all your experimental shit, like give that to us and we'll pair it with some really trippy, crazy visuals and try to launch it. But then that also made us realize that it's super attractive to up and coming artists who maybe just aren't great at content creation. Like, You've got the Doja Cats and the Lil Nas X's who were perfectly primed for this music ecosystem because they're great at music and they're great at the internet. And that's not everybody. And like how much music isn't getting out into the world because the person behind it just is too intimidated or just doesn't give a shit about Instagram. Dude, even like, like you're saying, like a well-established artist that has something that's maybe not in the same genre that everybody knows them for and, and they're like, ah, I don't want to release it. They didn't realize like fans of that artist want to hear everything that comes out of them creatively, whatever it is, you know, yeah. and yeah, finding a, a way to do that, dude, that's like, that's amazing. I feel like the squeaky wheel gets agreed sometimes too, right? You've got that, that small subset of fans that are upset about like, oh, this wasn't like your last album. And they're the ones that are like in the comments being like, you know, and artists, you know, like they're over indexed towards being sensitive folks. So like, if you're in their comments being like, what the fuck is this? It doesn't sound like your last album. like. <laughs> That's going to impact how you feel about putting out your next record. Yeah, so, dude, like, I would love to hear Doja Cat pick up a guitar and cover like Rivers Cuomo or some shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, we'd be like, yeah, that's amazing because Doja Cat is an amazing creative artist. Like, this is an amazing person, you know? So, 100%. anyway, yeah. Very cool. So, you guys just made a big announcement that Spirit Bomb is going to be minting its most popular virtual being, LV4. Yes. Which, you know, I had to do a little research on LV4. I found a description for our listeners at home just to set some context for the question. LV4 wasn't born as a cyborg. Rather, he was born as a human and spent his childhood wandering the streets crafting inventions from scrap heaps. So I guess one thing led to another and now he's a cyborg. But tell us a little bit more about your plans with LV4's NFT and how it allows holders to have a stake in the creative direction of this artist slash hip hop DJ slash cyborg work. 
Yeah, LV4 is our first artist that found a fan base, or if you want to go by the the more tech pipeline verbiage, he found some product market fit out there because we really did have a testing pipeline to figure out what virtual artists resonated with people. And it was this weird combination of wanting to trust our artistic instincts and but also wanting to make sure that the idea for these virtual artists that I kind of alluded to a couple minutes ago is that we want them to be a platform for people to put music out through. And we want them to be a like valuable platform to, for people to put music out. We got to have fans and audience, and we've got to find out what resonates with people about virtual artists. And in the, it's a very nascent medium. So there wasn't a ton of like massive body of research we could pull on. So we actually went on TikTok, which is incredible for testing how things resonate with people because they will push out your first posts really wide to a bunch of people. And you'll find out really quick if they like it or not. <laughs> like the silence is deafening when you put out something that doesn't resonate with people on TikTok versus LV4, who the first couple of videos, it validated so much of our thesis around virtual artists, because first of all, seeing a virtual being in the feed alongside a bunch of humans, I think our conversion of people who watched the whole video was super high relative to other videos. The engagement on it was also super high relative to other videos. And then it also bore out this idea of co-creating with the general public because we thought LV4 was this kind of tough, like dressed him in streetwear, like fancied he was this, this kind of intimidating hip hop producer robot character. And we dropped the first video and the comments were just like, oh, he's so cute. Like, look at the little antennas. Like, oh, he's like, he's fumbling his way around the world. And we were quickly like, okay, cool. If that's what people are into and if that's what he's evoking, then we can pivot into making that part of his personality. And once we did, it was like, we understood what they were saying. Like, he is cute. The antennas are kind of cute. Like, he's kind of a bull in a china shop here. So he's been our tester for the whole funnel of, like, what our virtual artist process should be like. Like, all the way from that initial testing moment I just described to putting out his first few tracks. He did his first one with Mr. Carmack. And then we released a track that featured the underachievers as well to doing a first live show where he opened for... Uh, he actually opened for Zed's Dead at their show at the Shrine. And then he sold out his own headline show a few months later in L.A. So it was kind of at that juncture that we'd gotten enough traction that we thought he was valuable for people to potentially contribute to or would be interesting enough for people to help guide his story. And that's when we looked around and we're like, okay, what are the mechanisms for building this next concentric circle of collaborators who are help got, like contribute music or visuals? And what are ways to give them like a, some gated access to the community, but also something that could appreciate and value commensurate with LB4's success? And that's, he, that was the thinking behind the LB4 drop. So I'm curious, you know, he's a cyborg and, you know, I think there's an argument to be made at this point in time that we're all cyborgs and in different ways with yeah. how attached we are to our phones and with all these converging technologies beyond his cuteness. And I have to agree, he is a pretty cute dude. Do you think there's like an element of that relationship to like what we're all going through that, that people are feeling? Yes, I do. And actually, when you frame it like that, I definitely do, especially because when you look at what, how the kind of content that people seem to resonate the most from him was him figuring out how to use TikTok in front of everybody and figuring out how to engage with the music industry and that kind of naivete, but also like there's self-confidence in there, right? He's not afraid to admit what he doesn't know. And I think that's how a lot of us probably feel about navigating this digital ecosystem, even though there is a tendency for people to feel like they've been experts at it since the jump. Guys, I think we need a, like a mascot, like uh, LV4 for the show. What do you guys think? Sounds good. Let's do it. 
We'd love to help. <laughs> Sounds great. Hey, so look, man, you got so much going on. You guys have already accomplished a lot, but I have a hunch that there's probably some pretty sweet stuff in the pipeline. What can you share with us of uh, what's coming down the road? Yeah. So we, I refer to this first drop as kind of the first concentric circle because it's a limited supply deliberately, right? We only did 400 of them. And that's kind of this, this first round of people who are going to be, you know, I heard the analogy for DAOs kind of, you've got the like settlers versus tourists, right? And people who like put down deeper roots and people who are kind of more there to have a light touch, but like still have engagement or still like the lifeblood of the community. And so in the future, we want to make sure that there's a like really easy, accessible way for people to not have to spend 0.2 ETH to be contributing to the community and also not have the pressure of like being as core to day-to-day decision-making, like the, the equivalent of delegation so that we can have a really wide, more like consumer-facing, but engaged group that isn't like, you know, that's free from some of the financialization and that, that really is more just about being a fan of the artist. And to propel that forward, we've also got like LV4's next career, phase of his career that we're trying to line up and that we've kind of got ready to go, but we wanted to do this first drop so that we weren't, it wasn't just our team deciding how we approach all of these next moments, but we're trying to get LV4 signed to a label and we've got some interest in people who will pick him up. And we're also just trying to get him, you know, within the next like a relatively short time horizon, see what it would look like for a virtual artist to play a major festival. And so those are the kinds of things that we've already started the gears turning, but we also didn't want to do a whole nother phase of LV's career where just our team of 10 was making all the decisions like that seems like a missed opportunity with a virtual artist. It's like with, with the human artists, I don't think the fans should be dictating like what that artist does next. Uh, Kind of what we were talking about earlier, right? You want the artist to just whatever they need to get off their chest. You kind of want to get out of the way and and let them do it. Virtual artists, like it's a fun opportunity to have a voice in in what you might see next from like uh, some franchise IP that you care about. You know, rumor has it, Ian, there's going to be a big festival in March of uh, 2023 called NFTLA. Perhaps you've heard about it. Yeah. And, you know, we've been known to have some NFT spirited artists there like Spotty Wi-Fi. And there's some other ones that were going to come by, but they weren't quite ready. I think they were still being pixelated. So, Uh um, yep. God, if only I knew someone that had a connection to NFTLA, if you got, you know, if you guys know anybody, you know a guy that knows the guy that knows it. Okay, those three guys might be here that are all in the chain. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's talk about it because we're we've got the tech for him to for LV to perform or any of uh, you know we've actually developed like a whole suite of virtual artists. We just invested in LV because he was the first one to find a fan base. But um, but he better not trash the hotel room then. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so this is the, <laughs> I went around to this whole pitch about how virtual artists will never miss a show. They're always on time, like. You know, they never like it's this artist that you don't have all the problems of human artists. His very first show at Art Basel, like we sent through the file, it was downloaded, but it like bad hotel Wi-Fi and it was like a corrupt file. And so he's like 45 minutes late to his first show after I detested to how virtual mm-hmm. artists were just immune to all of these things. He literally like yeah. a corrupt file is the equivalent of him being too drunk in the green room to get on stage. And that literally happened for his first live appearance. So I've been much more careful with exactly the promises I make about how simpler virtual artists are because yeah. for every problem you don't have, who knows how many technologies yeah. present to you. Yep. You can't have too many ones and not enough zeros. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Right. yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. And then we'll dive into quick hitters. It's going to be fun. What else inspires you these days, you know, within the Web3 space and beyond? Yeah. I, so within the Web3 space, I have been completely, I was not expecting how quickly some of the turnaround on talking about collaboration, like with the assumption of co-ownership, 
Like we built a business for years and years where that just wasn't even on the table. Like it was all work for hire, it was all cash. And the negotiating was how much cash, not do you get some of the back end. And there's other industries and even other aspects of the music industry that weren't quite as much like that. Like concert visuals is a perfect example where it's like, it just, you couldn't scale along with the success of the project. And so when we first had our collaboration with The Weeknd on doing an NFT with him on Nifty Gateway, like the fact that out the gate, we were talking about the like splitting the revenue was like really eye-opening. And the fact that it's only become more fundamentally a part of those conversations also just makes me feel better about all the convos we're having with artists where it's like, we're all in it together inherently. Like we're not as scared about shelling out a bunch of money, but we own it all. So if it's big, we have this outsized benefit, but like it feels like everywhere like engenders a more collaborative atmosphere. And then outside Web3, I'm just excited to see how many more visual artists, like really talented visual artists seem to be cropping up. It reminds me of like when Ableton and, and Foodie Loops and some of these DAW tools went out to like en masse and you found these like kids who are just virtuosic beat makers. Like I feel like we're on the brink of seeing that in, in animation as well because Unreal is free, Blender is free, and these tools are as powerful as like we use them to do like we were entirely in Unreal. And so I feel like we're still on the cusp of it. But when I look forward five, 10 years, I just think there's going to be an abundance of talents in the visual design space. That used and to and really- by the way, I'll give a little shout out to Ozone Universe, which is sort of an uh, NF, a Web3 alternative to Unreal, if I'm not mistaken. And there's some of that technology coming out too, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, I got to check that out. Like we, we've also been, Unreal has a really strong code base and we're like starting to rapidly exit my area of expertise because I work with smart people that are, <laughs> that, that are much more uh, well-versed in this than me. But I know that there's ways to expose a lot of what's happening in an Unreal or real-time system directly to the ledger so that as, as certain decisions are being made in real-time, you can write them to the blockchain. And it speaks to a lot of the things like that previously require accounting or require someone to spend a lot of money. And often that's an excuse not to do it and not to remunerate someone for their contribution, but build a system that does it automatically. Can't really hide behind the idea that we don't have the money to pay the accountants or the the lawyers. So yeah, exciting stuff. Dude, exciting stuff like all the way around, man. Uh, Super, super cool. We must find a way to collaborate for NFT LA, man. We got to get LV4 up there and uh, whoever else you got in the roster at that point. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com, it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle, to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio. And you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. 
That's right, this full-service soup to nuts, end-to-end, whole enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing all that, man. But let's take a moment and shift gears a little bit. Let's go to segment two, which is a segment we call Edge Quick Hitters. Basically, it's a fun, quick way for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. There's 10 questions and we're looking for short, single word or few word responses, but we may dive in a little deeper here or there. Okay. Are you ready to go? Let's go. Okay. Question number one, what is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Deck of Pokemon cards, I think. Right on. You got some of those bad boys floating around still? I do. I have not, yes. found, I've not found out if they're worth anything yet, but they're still in the laminated binder. So. <laughs> nice, nice. Question two, what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? God, that's a good one. I mean, probably lemonade outside of my house. Like truly, it was the first thing I ever sold. And then it was probably a while until... Like I remember in college, the first time ever thinking about it from a business perspective was, was selling a beat to someone for $50 that I'd made. <laughs> the, the question is like, were you doing the two for ones? Were you throwing in a cookie? Like, you know. know, lemonade. I'm pretty sure we were charging like $2 in the, in the mid nineties for an, a lemonade, which sounds nice. outrageous. Wow. So I think, it was I mean, I mean you know, it's LA, it's, yeah. it, it, real estate's expensive, even yeah. the sidewalks. Lord <laughs> knows we were probably pouring Minute Maid in there anyway. I don't remember <laughs> fresh lemon. So nice, man. Okay. Let's go a little uh, more recent here. And that's question three. What's the most recent thing you purchased? I just purchased like earlier today, a chaos pack. Um, one of the headless chaos is uh, the song camp band, but made their drop a couple of weeks ago. And I saw they still had some left. So I just grabbed uh, one of their packs. I haven't burnt it yet. You burn it and went up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty recent. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, question four. What's the most recent thing you sold? Well, I'll have to check our the status of our public mint, but we probably have sold a, an LV4 NFT uh, since then. But uh, Yes, very good chance. Very good chance. Uh, all right. Question number five. What is your most prized possession? If I had to put a, a material thing, it would probably be my 2013 Retina laptop that I'm using right now. This thing has got me through thick and thin, and it's still chugging. Right on. Super important in our lives, isn't it? Question number six, if you could buy actually anything in the world, digital, physical service and experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? Probably a property somewhere, you know, it would feel uh, that like I, and I don't know that I could get much more specific than that because, mm-hmm. but yeah, probably some land somewhere with the idea of doing something cool with it, with other people that I love. Nice. Question seven. I gotta, wait, 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 I gotta know, like. Is there mountains? Is it like an island? Is it uh what are you? Come on. Give island us seems a little hoity-toity, you know. I, I was thinking <laughs> something that could be a little more accessible, maybe in a part of America that's scored like you know, seeing where Kanye set up shop, right? Like there's a part that's like not that hard to get to. You knew a lot of people flying in and out, but it also was as gorgeous as anywhere in the world. So I'd like to find a little corner of America that feels like feels like it can go toe-to-toe with any anywhere else in the world. Sounds good. Yeah, I think that's solid. Any other questions, Grand Inquisitor, Ethan? 
on that well, one? Well, I'm just saying the more <laughs> details you put out there in the world, right? And the more it can manifest, right? So if okay. it's just, okay. you know, oh, I That's want a right. property, it's got a porch and uh, a farmland or whatever, you know what I mean? More definitely, we know, definitely, the more we can uh, be on your team. Tillable, tillable like earth, you know, you, you want you want earth. I don't know what tilling it really entails, but yeah. I'd like to be able to till it to a degree. Yeah. All you yeah. need is a tiller. I mean that. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't <laughs> need to do some research. I don't know. <laughs> it's not a it's not a box you can check in Zillow. I don't think tillable land. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> Listen yeah. up, Zillow team, get on it. Okay, yeah. jeez, Louise. All right, question number seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Sense of humor. For sure. You got to be able to laugh. Like when I see people get upset about people making jokes, I just, well, I'm, that's the only thing, one of the things that could, would concern me most about society is losing sense of humor. You got to be able to laugh. Yeah. Big time. Question eight. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Self-doubt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a, you know, I come from a Jewish family that celebrates self-doubt in, in a lot of ways. So as a way of dealing with it, but it still wouldn't, wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It's a battle, isn't it? Question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I cooked some chicken. I had a 20-minute window because my call before y'all ended, and I threw some chicken in a sheet pan and uh, roasted it up for some lunch. That was literally exactly what I did before I hopped on. Nice. You chowed that chicken? You ate that chicken? I ate half of it and half of it. I'll do it later, yeah. All right, we'll let you go here pretty quickly. Um, get back to it. All right, question 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Got, I think, two more calls that I'm excited about. One with our label manager. Talk about LV4's The Roadmap, the musical roadmap that we were just discussing. And uh, I'm going to walk this puppy that's around here somewhere. Nice, man. Nice. And last official question, uh, question number 10. What are you doing next after the podcast? Other than walking the dog? We've got a, uh, oh my gosh, she literally just heard us talking about her. And this, this is uh, next after, yeah, next after the podcast, we've got a, a couple of things that we're working on. Like uh, I, we built a, um, a design your own NFT kind of like fun way to discover all the traits that are on our current drop. And we've got some plans to further implement what we do at that tech. I'll, I'll make sure to drop you all the links because you can use it in its current form now, but having a meeting about some fun new things that we can do. With I that. get caught in twilight cool. zone sometimes on these, by the way. I think I asked that one twice, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, I do so too, but I am doing no, We have a bonus question. I do yeah. it so many times, but yeah, yeah, I'll throw it to Ethan. Ethan does have the yeah. bonus. Let's I do, do have it. a bonus question. <laughs> what do you do after the podcast? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bonus question. What's your favorite jazz standard? Ooh. Uh, to play or to listen to or both, you know. If I had to, like, I think I appreciate I Got Rhythm because mm. of the rhythm changes okay. and because, like, it spawned so many other amazing pieces of music that I love. I don't know if confirmation counts as a standard. It's a Parker, sure. Parker confirmation. But that one, too, is, like, one that I, it's, like, probably top five songs that get stuck in my head with zero, like, trigger. They just appear there. After yeah. Long. Very cool. Love it. Yeah. One of mine is Skylark. And, oh and my god gorgeous that's, that's I, I used to i remember i would that and autumn leaves were like ones that uh, i did one jazz camp where like those were the two tracks we had to learn by the end of the band and nice took us longer than we should have but i was like 11 right all right I, awesome i don't even know what that question means but yeah, i appreciate exactly. you guys sharing got a little jazz nerd out there yeah <laughs> had to get it in all right that's yeah. cool man well that's edge quick hitters man we appreciate you sharing with us yeah fun. i think we wanted to take a minute man if, if you got a few to hang out yeah and just bullshit a little bit about 
our experience at Decentral and Consensus. Um, mm, as so glad the, I just said kind of, bullshit because I swore twice earlier in this podcast and I realized like no one said anything, but I was uh, like, I don't good. know where this is going. <laughs> After we're done, we're going to have you record the word holy moly. And then... <laughs> We we punched that in for any okay, swear words. Don't worry about it. I, I, I still think holy guacamole is oh, more interesting. Okay. <laughs> Too many syllables. But yeah, yeah, hot topic. And we wanted to cover that stuff and talk about our experience there. Uh, some of the takeaways from, yeah. from Austin besides the 105 degree heat. So yeah, man, let's open I'll the floor. jump in right away yeah. and just say my biggest takeaway was jealousy because I was not there. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys got to interview like Kevin Smith. I mean, I was just what? like, oh man, right, I get to right. like so, look at so, the video of that. That's so, about it. So, so I was talking to someone about that interview earlier today and they're like, man, I wish you had the B-roll of the pre-tape. So, so Kevin walks in with his posse and immediately he looks around and he's like, he adjusts where the video is, the lighting, he changes the chairs, he moves <laughs> oh, the nice. mics and he's like, and then he felt comfortable. And that- we we're just like, it was very clear to us that saying yes to a hundred percent of his recommendations was the key to a good interview. So we just rolled with it. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what's funny about that is because uh, I'm typically, and I'm not like the biggest professional at this, but I'm kind of our AV guy who like sets that stuff up. And I remember looking at the interview and being like, man, Zach pulled it together for this AV setup. Like <laughs> he's really here. taking it to the next <laughs> level. You can that's take funny. the director out of the director's chair, but you uh, can't take the director chair. Yeah, out. yeah that, that's funny. But um, I don't know. I had a great time. You know, we've done a lot of cool things with the guys at Decentral. And this was like a pre-event to consensus, um, sort of bringing together their community. It definitely, I felt like there's some bridges that were built between their last event and this event in terms of connecting some of the DeFi type projects that they often feature and then a few projects and and like it felt like a little bit more of a sandbox of co-creation in the industry. It's definitely a strong builder vibe and some really interesting people to come together having great conversations. Like one of my highlight moments was introducing Baron Davis to the Cosmos team and and us all sort of learning more about what Cosmos is, is doing and, and how they're sort of taking things to the next level in a way that sort of supports Web3 and NFT creators. I had a great time at, at Decentral and the air conditioning was good. The snacks were good. The coolest thing for us was shout out to those guys. They put a piano and a shower in our media room. Oh, so that thing was, I missed out on. Well, they didn't yeah, that, put the shower in our media room. They put us in the media room with a shower. Yeah, <laughs> they put a piano yeah. in the no, shower. I, I mean, the, the word room. is they installed those just for us, Jeff, actually. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, seeing the, you know, this is one of those things, you know, I you appreciate, right? You, if you, you put an instrument near a creator, right? They're going to create something with it. And so everybody, you know, the, was drawn to it and, yeah. you know, just sit down and start, you know, playing. Piece, right? Let's just yeah. break the ice a little bit. Yeah. Hi, what's your connection to Baron Davis? He, uh, he's an alumnus of, of my high school. And I went to the Baron Get Davis out of here, man. before I realized I was trapped. Well, oh, wow. Baron- I met him. I actually met him originally at a place called the Upfront Summit, which is this killer oh, yeah, sure. event that yeah. Upfront Ventures puts on. Yeah. Uh, that was like, I think, 2016 or 17. And he was there talking about Black Santa and some of his other business ventures. Yeah. You know, small, small group of folks up there. And I was just like impressed with, you know, his approach to things, you know? Yeah. And, I was just um, 
So, you know, and he's just been in and around the space, man, working always kind of at the forward edge. And so, yeah, when we, uh, we had the chance to sit down with him, we're like, yes, let's do that. Let's talk. Let's see what's up. Awesome. And I think you may find some pretty interesting collaborations between us and him uh, yeah. going forward here pretty soon. Yeah, so he's always yeah. seemed to have his finger up on the pulse. Like, yeah, he he's super tied into what's going on and, and super deep and long in terms of the utility of Web3 technology. So huh. nice sneak preview to that interview, the Kevin Smith interview. We had a lot of great interviews. Thanks to the Decentral crew, uh, Tatiana DeMaria. She's doing some really amazing stuff. And then like, you know, that was a really good starting point for what was a rather intense few days. I mean, because the census was 17,000 people, uh, six different locations, but they did a great job of keeping it to a rather small geographical footprint, you know, where, you know, you could scooter around to whatever you need to get to or, or walk. Just realize that, you know, more than five minutes in the street is like taking a shower. Because it was like, so we were breaking records on the heat side. And meanwhile, the market was melting down. And there was a really interesting dichotomy that people talked about it. How long is this sort of bear market going to be and what's causing it? But there's just more energy, I would say, pound for pound, you know, minute by minute, focused on the building and the collaboration potential. It was cool to see consensus integrate some of the NFT side of things and the metaverse side of things, but also bring in some thought leaders like Edward Snowden, who's really about the utility of, of blockchain and, and sort of getting past the hype train and, and everything. And I think there's just like this inevitable tension in the industry because, you know, the fundamentals of blockchain are sort of a monetary alternative slash sort of opportunity to sort of get a return on your investment. And then you have the utility of NFTs, which is about long-term value creation as opposed to the flip, you know, at times. So there are plenty of flippers in the space and just intermishing all these people and, and sort of seeing how that manifests. I found it pretty fascinating from a human psychology perspective. What were your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, overall, I think people are in and ready to be in build mode again, like fundamentally, right? And most of the big players there have been through market downturns previously. So it's not their first rodeo there. They saw how, how we came out of it last time. And also the infrastructure is so much stronger this time around. Both the uh, folks on the investment side of the house, the level of sophistication there, as well as the builders and, and where they came from and what their background is as it relates to those industries that are making things happen. You know, one of the biggest players in the space that intersects with us is Animoca Brands, you know, for example. And so anything that intersects with their world is in, in build mode, right? It's in full, it's their full steam ahead, right? What's happening in the markets, uh, it's important to everybody. I mean, it impacts people, right? Sentiment and you know, access to capital, all those things. But these guys are building, man. They're out there making it happen. Animoca Brands, for example, you know, they were there last market downturn. And even prior to that, had this wealth of experience in, in the gaming space long before, you know, we're talking like web one experience, web two experience, and now web three experience. And so I think what's important during these times is like to look to those folks, those people that have been there before and see how they're acting. And I think when you're at consensus, you can see that all over the place, man. People were, all those people were there basically, right? And you can see how they're behaving and their behavior is let's build, let's go. Let's continue this charge. We're not going anywhere. 
I don't know, Ethan, you've seen a good amount of our like talks, some of the interviews that we did, We've done a lot of different things over that time period out in Austin. Any Anything else that you saw, man, that jumped out to you at Consensus? I mean, I think that um, right now we're at an interesting vantage point. I mean, we're over a year after we started our podcast, but it's so fascinating just to take a look back. I mean, the sort of founders of Decentral, people that we had on the podcast in the early days, right? And they were just talking about getting some events together, you know? And then like taking a look at just like, it's just become a, um, you know, you mention it, but I would describe it as like a festival atmosphere, which is really cool, you know? So it's not just that people are enthusiastic and excited, but there's this really fun integration that I don't think people saw before at, like blockchain events and things like that, where there's creativity just bubbling everywhere, you know? And that's why I get excited about it. I mean, I've been to conventions in all sorts of different spaces, you know, from, I used to go to the, one of the largest conventions in the country was maybe even the world was like the neuroscience convention, the National Society of Neuroscience. It was cool to talk about brains and stuff like that. And, and there was a lot of fun stuff going on, but the energy was different. And the energy here is just, at least for me, it's it's buzzing. And I can see it from afar, right? I could see it from like the compilation videos that people put together, the interviews, the way that people are talking, the freshness of ideas, right? Like they're talking about new stuff. Like it's not boring. It's not like something that already happened. It's something that's, like I said, it's a creator vibe, like new things. So that's my takeaway yeah. from, from afar. Yeah, I, I think that's accurate. And yeah, there were some extravagant parties and dinners throughout the week. But the stuff I really enjoyed were the more low-key events. For example, I went to a casual event that a project threw on Friday that had like, you know, hummus and soft drinks. But it was like really cool people that are just sort of really in build mode 100%. And uh, Anything to dip in the hummus or just hummus? No, I, I think nothing. it was spicy hummus. We are in Texas, right? <laughs> but, oh man, shout out to Velvet Tacos. A couple of us went over there at some point and they have a chicken and waffle taco. So that was like also a fun benefit of Austin. But by the end of the week, I think everyone was done with tacos because they really do the tacos hard. I would say that another cool experience was the Dow House, which was an inner that had like more casual seating had some cold brew iced coffee, some cool iced tea and, you know, Zen vibe. Like there was rose water in the men's room. Like that's the first conference I've been to and in, in sort of the crypto world where you can spray some rose water on yourself. And they had some meditation in the morning. So I think they tried to create an inviting space for all the different types of folks in the industry. Whereas traditionally you've got these finance conferences, you got these investor conferences, you got these DGEN conferences, I think they were trying to create a place where everyone felt comfortable, which is similar to what we're trying to do with NFTLA, with all the different types of groups within the NFTLA or the NFT space. What did you hear, man? Or were you over there? Do you know some folks that went? I know a few folks that went, yeah, but I wasn't there myself. And it was funny. I mean, definitely had had a fair share of FOMO despite being in, in build mode ourselves. But yeah, I, I also, I think it, it was most interesting hearing kind of what you were alluding to, Jeff, like people talking about how the conversations were or weren't talking about market conditions. And I mean, in my mind, I, I agree with so much of what you said about, you know, how these periods allow for building because 
some of the parts that I've been most skeptical or cynical about the scene have been because of like either indirectly or directly because of the hype cycles. Right. And like, it's so tempting when you see things being that successful to just copy and not innovate. Cause you're like, it worked. And then someone else does it. And you're like, well, why am I not doing it? Why would I try something new and take a risk when everyone just following this playbook is working for everybody? And so I think it's one of the things that a lot of people who have had an idea that they were passionate about that maybe like now they'll get a better shot because everybody's kind of reinventing the rules and that not so much the attention economy isn't being swept up in people successfully replicating things that were already successful. So I think hearing people about people navigating that was super interesting. And then, yeah, just, uh, it's all, it's always fun seeing things like that too. Just like people, you know, meeting other people, you know, and sending photos of themselves together to you. It's like never gets old. You know, one thing that I was really excited about is hearing that announcement that Bill Gates is going to be doing an NFT album with Kendrick Lamar. I thought that was really exciting. Wait, just kidding. <laughs> I was like, about to reach for Google. Like, is, there just kidding. is there a jazz standard that influenced it or something? Is it? <laughs> Yo, these days, man, I, my, my, I've suspended my disbelief now for what feels like two and a half yeah. years. So, yeah. yeah, no, that's not happening. But <laughs> that, that, that was an awesome, that was an awesome wrap up about Austin. And I think folks, I certainly appreciated it, all these details. And I think the listeners will as well. So, yeah. appreciate us taking the time. Sure thing. And Ian, before we wrap the episode, man, we got to let people know where can they follow you, what you're up to personally, as well as the projects, uh, Strange Loop and um, Spearbomb. Yeah. So Strange Loop, we're, uh, it's, it's, we're kind of pointing out a lot of our attention is on Spirit Bomb right now. You can find us at, at Spirit Bomb underscore AI on Twitter, even though it's, you know, as we've talked about, it's not fundamentally an artificial intelligence project, it's aggregate intelligence. So we still use the, uh, the AI um, in our Spirit Bomb handle. It's spiritbomb.ai on Instagram. It's also spiritbomb.ai where you can find a lot of the info like on the web about our project. And the Mint URL that's live right now is mint.spiritbomb.ai. And then I mentioned the builder earlier, which is uh, lv4.spiritbomb.ai. We've kind of just like built it all on the same domain name to make it easy for y'all. And that's where you can kind of design your own and see what might be in there. And then, yeah, probably easiest place to follow me is on Twitter at underscore blount1. That's B-L-O-U-N-T and uh, Instagram's at underscore Blount. So yeah, come uh, a lot of jazz content. If, if anyone listening was piqued by our, our 45 seconds of talking about jazz, just wait, man. I've got uh, by the vast majority of my non-spear bomb related Instagram stories are just me with looking at big views of my balcony with favorite jazz from the like late 60s to mid 70s over it. So nice. That nice. sounds like something you might be interested in. Boy, yes. I got something for y'all. Yeah. Yeah. We can only bore Josh and Jeff for so long with our, Sorry, our jazz nerding. I, you know, I'll throw one more thing in there. It was hummus related. Look up on YouTube how to make hummus in six steps by an artist called Aton Kenner. He's actually a guy that we tune pianos for in New York City, but it's pretty dope, kind of synthy uh, jazz fusion track. And uh, you managed you know. to connect jazz and hummus. Yeah, on the- exactly. On so you, you got to hit that. Play. Don't get no rider, guys. That's right. <laughs> so I guess word on the street was we were going to look at a little giveaway, I think, associated with this too. So do you want to talk about any elements of that right now? There's a couple of active giveaways we've got going on to be able to get in our mint right now. One of which is we've partnered with, uh, I don't know if you know the folks at ChillRx, incredible Web3 music project that actually started, we knew from 
the days before uh, we were all in Web3 because they were doing a virtual artist project as well. And they did an incredibly awesome drop a while back of chill pills. That's so we're doing a giveaway for a chill pill for anyone who mints our project. It's going to be some future crossover as well. We're also going to be doing some giveaways that we're going to announce next week. We're at NFT NYC. LB4 has actually been booked at two gigs now. He's going to be uh, playing at the Sound Mint event on Wednesday alongside some really legit artists that I wish I was able to announce, but they haven't uh, put them out there yet. Maybe we can talk about putting in the copy because this will probably drop afterwards. But uh, And then he's, at the, he's going to be doing a resident DJ to set at a studio there four nights a week. It's nice being a virtual artist. You can just DJ for hours and hours and hours. And you, don't get, you don't get tired. So uh, yeah, if anyone's out in New York, you'll be able to catch up before at a couple of times. Nice. And uh, so keep an eye out on our socials. We'll help promote these various elements of giveaway and also just, you know, strangely the spirit bomb, everything you're doing, man. So we really yeah. do appreciate it. All right, y'all. Well, I think we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thank you for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. This episode was brought to you by today's guest and sponsor. The creators of Edge of NFT will be compensated to support the production costs associated with the program. We are very selective when deciding who to have on these shows, but we are learning as we go just like you. The views expressed are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, and are not intended to serve as an endorsement or investment advice. You are urged to do your own research as well as consult a reputable financial advisor before making any investment or purchase decision.